Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to the Late Night Football Show with your host, Rohit Singh. That's me. On this show, we talk about some of the most serious, least silly topics from the world of football for your entertainment and enjoyment. Please remember that the show is BYOL. Bring your own laughs, since we don't have the budget for a studio audience. Happy listening! Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Late Night Football. I hope everyone had a great week. And I know it's not going to get even better because of me. So let's get right into it. The big news story of the week was the K-League or Korean League starting this weekend. The start of the league had been postponed back in February and now almost three months later, here we are. The match was dubbed as the most important game played on Korean soil since the 2002 World Cup final. There was a lot of interest around this match because it was the first league to resume operation after having been suspended due to COVID-19 and everyone was curious to see how it would go. The opening game between John Buck Motors and Suwon Blue Wings was not a spectacle in the footballing sense, but it certainly was memorable in the way some of the off-field routines were conducted. First, the two teams entered the pitch separately, one after the other. Then, the players were asked to bow before each other from a sensible distance in place of the pre-match handshakes. That already sounds more practical than the European League's idea of doing fist bumps pre-match, of course, the idea of Real Madrid and Barcelona players bowing before each other pre-match is fanciful. If Sergio Ramos was asked to do that, he might become the first player to be red-carded before the game has even started. Or imagine this happening in the Chelsea-Manchester City game from 2010 and Wayne Bridge and John Terry being asked to do that. Yep, Awkward. Anyway, the modifications didn't stop there. Coaches, managers and substitutes wore face masks while sitting in the dugouts and players were banned from excessive celebrations or arguing too much with the referee when called for a foul. Yeah, we're lucky COVID-19 didn't happen in the early 2000s or Gennaro Gattuso wouldn't have played any games at all during this period. I'm sure the referees like these rules though. Okay, PK, that's a foul. What? But I barely touched him. I don't think so, pal. That's a free kick. Oh, what the? Okay, your time limit is up, buddy. Physical distancing now. Now? Or yellow card? Uh, okay. <laughs> The referees also have a convenient excuse when they make a wrong call now. Oh, oh, that was, what, was that a dive? Ah, sorry, I wasn't slow in catching up. I was just physically distancing myself from you guys. That's why I was too far away from the field. Man, that hot dog was really good. I mean, let's continue. Watch it, guys. If you come too close to me, I'll have to yellow card you. Physical distancing. <laughs> anyway, the game was played behind closed doors, so the usual atmosphere wasn't there as expected. Uh, though when John Book were chasing the winner, the stadium PA did pipe in some artificial noise to rile the players up and get them to rally for the goal. That trick is actually straight from the WWE book, and if I were Vince McMahon, I would trademark it so that other clubs would have to pay them to use it. It might be useful. A extra cash is always handy. Finally, when the game ended, the players exchanged fist bumps rather than the usual embraces. And of course, there were no t-shirts swapped. If Andre Santos was playing, 
he would ask for the t-shirt before the game even started. And Marco Materazzi would have no problem because he prefers shirts from players' sisters, or so he told Zidane. Anyway, the game ended 1-0 to John Book, who are the reigning league champions, in case anyone was interested in knowing. Now, the K-League has also benefited by being the first sort of popular league to restart operations, unless you like to watch Belarusian, Burundian or Nicaraguan football, because with TV broadcasters more desperate for content to satisfy their overcharged clientele, they have gained many lucrative contracts in countries around the world, such as Germany, Australia and India. Now, that's obviously great news for the league and Korean football, particularly when finances are going to be tight for many of the clubs. As a fun, irrelevant fact, by the way, I once played a season in FIFA 2006 career mode with Suwon Blue Wings in the K-League. Yep, that's a true story. Now on to other football restart news, and you might remember that in the last episode we talked about the Premier League's Project Restart, which was their plan for the restart of the Premier League season in June. This week, however, we found out about another project from the bottom six clubs in the Premier League to block any resumption in football for the season. This project was called Project Sabotage. I just want to point out that when I was talking about the K-League, there was no mentions of any projects or any fancy names, but here in England, there's already been two projects and no football resumption. I mean, you gotta keep the smoke and mirrors going, right, until you get the good stuff. Anyway, so let's take a look now at Project Sabotage. Now, as some of you may be aware, since the Premier League was suspended, there have been regular meetings to discuss plans for a restart. Many of the smaller clubs have been vocal about not liking the plans that have been proposed for the restart. Brighton have recently opposed any plans to play in neutral venues, saying that it is unfair for them to give up home advantage. Now, on the face of it, that makes sense. We know how crucial home advantage is for clubs, especially those in the bottom half of the table, and particularly when you're fighting for every point towards the end of the season. And particularly when four of those games are against the big six in the Premier League, that becomes even more important to gain points. However, these are normal times, so normal rules don't apply here. Plus, if the games are being played behind closed doors, then it doesn't really matter whether you play them at home or somewhere else, because that atmosphere with the fans is missing anyway. Pitch sizes don't really come much into it, and the talk of players having to travel or not travel, it doesn't really factor because many of them are going to have to be isolated in designated hotels anyway. But wait, was that? Oh, they would also prefer games to be played in front of fans rather than behind closed doors. That's the another statement that they made. So, is it just me or is anyone else also detecting a pattern here? <laughs> now, obviously in today's time, no story can stand on its own. And like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, everything has to be connected to a larger picture. So, this comment from Brighton's chief executive has to be seen as part of a bigger conspiracy theory. Now that conspiracy theory is called Project Sabotage. It alleges that the bottom six clubs in the Premier League don't want the league to restart and are doing everything that they can to oppose any plans for resumption of football. Basically, they want to leave the league with no option but to suspend the league and then start next season as is. Now if I look at this with cynical eyes, it's clear as day what's happening here to me or to anyone else. Uh, nobody wants to be relegated from the Premier League. There's hundreds of millions of pounds at stake for every club. Particularly at this time, when we're in the middle of the worst economic crisis in over a decade, it makes sense that clubs want to protect their income stream. But here's the paradox. See, clubs want to stay in the Premier League because they don't want to lose their cash cow of TV money and big deals. Now, however, the Premier League is only a cash cow because of the humongous TV deals they get domestically and internationally. And TV deals only work if the football is being played on a regular basis. 
and the clubs that want to stay don't want to play any football. So in essence, if they want to make money from being in the Premier League, they have to play football and not play football. And that makes sense, right? The other side of this is that many clubs depend on TV rights money just to stay afloat. So if the cancelled season means no TV money, what would the clubs do in that case? And that means clubs in the bottom six as well as in mid-table because that TV money is a significant chunk of revenue that they would miss out on. Now, UEFA has set a deadline of May 25th for all leagues to decide if they resume or cancel their seasons permanently for 2019-2020. That means we have about two weeks left for the Premier League to decide on what they want to do. I'm sure someone's already thought up a decision day countdown clock on Sky Sports for that, and if not, please send me my royalty check. Now, if the league does decide to cancel, what happens then? Would relegation and promotion be decided on a points-per-game basis? And in that case, would there be a further division of Project Sabotage clubs? I mean, would that divide the Project Sabotage clique? Will there be a Project Sabotage Project Sabotage? I don't know. Now, there's also the idea of having a 23-team league season, which means that the 20 teams from this season and three promoted teams from the championship next season. And that's a compromise to make everyone happy. Except, of course, when... Surely, every league will have a shorter window of time next season to complete all their games. Only the Premier League thinks that adding more games to its calendar could be a solution. (laughs) At the end of the day, though, it will come down to money. If the league promises some extra cash to relegated clubs and bigger parachute payments, I'm sure they'll come around. After all, nothing unites people better than the promise of becoming even more rich. Now, let's talk about transfers. It's actually been a slow news week for transfers. We reported last week how PSG wanted to swap Angel Di Maria for Paul Pogba, and then stories came out about how much he hates Manchester United from his teammates, Angel Di Maria, that is. Well, if friends can make your case, if teammates can make your case, then wives surely can. Because this week, Angel Di Maria's wife came out with a statement about how she hated life in England and had begged her husband not to go to Manchester United. The key aspect of that story for me, though, behind all the criticism that she had for Manchester's food, the weather, the people, was how Angel convinced his wife by saying that he'll make more money by going to Manchester United. Now, is that any surprise why he flops so bad at the club? When you're only playing for a paycheck, well, it rarely ever works out, right? Ajax CEO Edwin van der Sar has said that despite the current economic crisis, the club will not become a football Walmart, basically, and offer discounts to potential buyers. Now, Ajax are notorious for nurturing young stars and then selling them on for big sums of money. But with the market down this summer, there is a belief that transfer fees would be lower because selling clubs would need to sell their players and buying clubs will not be paying as much or will not be willing to pay as much for those players. However, Van der Sar has said that won't be the case at Ajax and they still expect clubs to want their players like we want toilet paper at supermarkets. And therefore, they will have to pay good sums of money to get them. Uh, The players, not toilet paper, that is. This, by the way, comes after Sporting Lisbon president said that selling clubs would have to lower prices for players because of their dependence on that stream of revenue. And notoriously in the Portuguese league, a big chunk of revenue for the clubs actually comes from selling players rather than league prize money or TV money. And he mentioned Bruno Fernandes, who was sold from Sporting Lisbon to Manchester United, he said that Bruno Fernandes would have been sold for 20 to 30 million euros if he was going this summer, rather than the 60 million he went for in January. Yes, I'm sure Ed's weeping in a corner reading that statement. Absolutely. 
Now, up to 163 players could be left in what Sky Sports has termed Lone Limbo because of the uncertainties around the season end. Now, usually, <laughs> loan deals for players end in June, but if the season spills over into July, there are question marks over what happens to the deals for those players. Obviously, the common sense move would be for these players to extend their deals for an extra month, but for some reasons, read sensationalization, there are question marks as to what will happen to their short-term future. Now, of course, in some cases where leagues run in a calendar format like MLS or China, players on loan to other leagues might be called back or clubs might have to pay to extend the deal and it will be interesting to see what happens there. But for the majority, I would assume that the loan players would have no problem sticking with their current clubs if they are getting regular game time because their parent clubs didn't want them back anyway. And if they are not getting regular game time, then I don't think the clubs are going to worry too much about losing them for what might be 3-4 games. But news websites got to sell, I guess, so here we are. And finally, seeing how much success Manchester United have had with the Neville brothers, how much Ajax have had with the Depoa brothers, Spurs have decided that they too want some of that sibling magic and therefore want to sign the Booth brothers, Taylor and Zach from Bayern Munich. These youngsters from the United States are considered bright prospects, and since Spurs have a manager who clearly loves ruining, I mean developing youngsters, this will be a fantastic move for their careers. Particularly after seeing what another North American youngster, Alfonso Davies, has been doing at the club, I'm sure that should really seal the deal in Spurs' favour. And that's it for today, guys. Have a great week, everyone. See you again soon. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening to that episode on Late Night Football. Now, please remember to do all the right things by clicking on the share, like, and subscribe buttons. And say all the right things by commenting on the show. Positive feedback is welcome, and negative feedback will be ignored. Nah, I'm just kidding. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Links can be found in the description to the show. Make sure to join me for the next one. Take care. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.